0: Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawassasi, and I am your host for the FACT Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am FACT's vice president of community relations. Today's show is going to be quite fascinating as we explore the research from the Maleki Lab at the USDA, we're sitting down with Sohaila Malecki, PhD, to learn more about how and why the USDA conducts peanut and tree nut research and what they hope to discover. Before we start today, I just want to take a moment and thank the National Peanut Board for their kind sponsorship of today's show and for all of their support over the years. Welcome, Sohaila, to the Fact Roundtable podcast. It is an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Oh, hi, Caroline. I- Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm expecting that today's podcast is going to be one of the most interesting podcasts, possibly, that we have hosted on the Fact Roundtable podcast. Before we get going too deep here, Sahela, you are a chemist with the USDA's Agricultural Research Service in New Orleans. So can you share with our listeners your background and then how you came to research peanut and tree nuts?
1: I hope that I meet your expectations, (laughs) Carolyn. I actually got my bachelor's degree in the University of Tennessee system with biology and chemistry major. I went on to get a degree at University of Arkansas Medical Sciences for my PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology. And one of my friends there, another graduate student, happened to have a severe peanut allergy. She was actually allergic to peanuts, all the beans, all the nuts. So I was always really interested because I just didn't understand it. I had no idea the concept of allergy to food at that time. And this is way back when. So at that time, one of the scientists in our department started studying food allergy. So that's where I was finishing my PhD. And I went into a peanut allergy lab to do my research. And so I worked with Wesley Barks's group who did peanut allergy research. They were one of the very first groups in the world to understand the peanut allergens, to clone them, identify them, study them. And so I was fortunate enough to get in at that ground level. So that's how I actually got into the field, basically.
0: Wow. I never knew that. I have known you all these years and that is fascinating. Now, You were named as a finalist for a Samuel J. Hyman Service to America medal in recognition of what was stated, 20 plus years of pioneering research that has improved the quality of life for millions of Americans who suffer from food allergies. That is quite the statement, Sohaila. So can you explain to our listeners, what have you actually been up to for these last 20 years? And then how does your work impact the food allergy community?
1: Well, I have to say that I've worked on a variety of projects and started out looking at the uh, peanut allergens. I've worked with people, breeders that, for example, breed peanuts. We've looked at variations in natural variety of peanuts, all the way to silencing the allergens in peanuts through genetic modification, moved on to studying the allergen itself in detail, the effects of processing on allergenicity of the peanut. So I've spent like about 20 years studying the peanut and the allergens within. Of course, I got more involved with detecting peanut, for example, on product and food lines. I didn't actually do the detection, but helping develop methods to do that to the clinical side of the peanut allergens and food allergens became very interesting. So I started working a little bit on the newest therapeutics and diagnostics for peanut allergy. So I think in the last 20 years, my research has evolved over time, but also accumulated a whole bunch of knowledge over time that I've hopefully been able to apply to all these different fields.
0: Are there other experts just like you out there in the field? Or are you pretty much a leader in this?
1: I think there's a lot of experts in the field. Some that may have some of the experiences I have and have additional experiences beyond mine. But I think my experience is unique in that because I'm in the Department of Agriculture, I came from a medical school and then went into Department of Agriculture. And then from that, I feel like I have a broader interaction with people from all the way from farmers, through the food industry, through the consumer groups, to the regulators and the clinicians. So food allergy effects is very unique in that it affects this huge variety of people in this broad population. I think I've had a glimpse into and a chance to interact with all of these different factions so I guess many people may be better experts at certain specific areas and have other expertise. But I think in my case, the broadness might make some of my research or my work unique.
0: Extremely fascinating. And yes, I agree. You are very unique. Oh, well, thank you, Caroline. <laughs> so until I met you in person a few years ago at Fax Food Industry and Research Summit, I never knew how much your role as a researcher really meant to our food allergy community. So therefore, what do you think has been your most memorable or meaningful piece of research to date, or even just a meaningful moment? Because I know you interact with farmers and this broad range of people. Maybe there was just one moment in time that just sticks out in your mind and stays with you.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'll just go for the broad answer, which kind of is similar to my last answer, is that I've really had the privilege of looking at the trials and tribulations related to particularly peanut allergy and, of course, food allergy from various perspectives. With the farmers to, again, going through with food industry people, consumer advocates. So I think I have this broad view. There's a different problem from every angle. It's hard to point out one memorable moment, but I think I remember one time I was on a Georgia peanut tour they take you on the tour of the peanut farms you meet the farmers and you go to these peanut manufacturing sites where they make peanut butter how they store it how they dry it store it then processing line that makes peanut butter and so forth and very fascinating it's the first industry type meeting that I'd been to that wasn't in like a conference form. And I was first employed at USDA when I did that. And I was looking at effects of processing on food allergy. But I decided to go on this tour to learn more about the peanut. And while I was on that tour, this, some news article came out about peanut allergy. And I could see this devastation on the peanut farmers' faces and how they passed this article around and... I told them, well, you know, that's what I study. And they all looked at me and said, really? And they started asking me a whole bunch of questions. And to me, that was one of the memorable moments because I was really new in the field and I just started a new job. And suddenly all these people were really interested in what I was doing and had like a gazillion questions that at that time we may not have had answers to. But overall, over time, have slowly developed some solutions to
0: Well, I bet you it was very comforting for them, too, because here they saw this article and they're watching their careers and their lives flash before their eyes. And then here is a scientist who's actually trying to help solve this problem. so I could see how they would have been really excited to speak to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, they were very concerned. And their overall statement was, we don't want our product to hurt anybody. And what can we do? They actually started out with a small funds to try to fund researchers that were looking into that. And I was a beneficiary after a couple of years and that had their full support. It was a nice beginning to my career and a, gave me a good understanding of a different level of food allergy, as opposed to people that are, you know, clinicians and researchers that are doing fabulous work in the field.
0: So, now in terms of your research, how do you decide what you'll be researching next? Do people come to you? Do they call up the USDA and say, hey, I have this product and I need help with it? Or does a farmer pick up the phone and say, hey, I need help with something? How do you decide what to research?
1: Uh, that's a good question. And actually, everything you just said happens. For example, for the first 15 years of my life, and even now, I look at the effects of processing on allergenicity of peanut products and peanuts. So I've had many, many from industry, all the way from the food industry to the diagnostic industry to the detection industry, because detection, diagnosis, processing, or product cleaning lines in industry, and of course, detection is important for the manufacturers and the process, food processors, but it's also for regulators. So I've had multiple interactions with people that call me and say, we have a problem. We want to be able to detect roasted allergens and they're different from the raw. How are they different? How can we detect that? Or anywhere from that to a farmer that was an almond farmer calling me and saying, I grow apricots as well. And I wanted to know if, for example, almonds are allergic, would apricot kernels Could they be a replacement for almonds if we were to remove certain chemicals or products out of it? Would we be able to use this as a hypoallergenic version, for example? So you get all kinds of questions. Of course, the answer was no, because they're the same family and they have the same allergens. We still did the tests. We don't just guess. That's basically science. We have companies coming to us that are, for example, using roasted peanut in their therapeutic products. And they want us to help them characterize those. So it's, you know, anywhere from the farmers to the food industry that, you know, how does roasting change the detection of our uh, products and so forth. We try to answer if we can help them and we can answer some of their questions, we do that. But we also overall try to stay true to some research that we've established for the USDA. We write like five year proposals on research that we're going to do and so originally for a very long time it was processing so although we include the processing now we also have included diagnostics so and understanding cross-reactivity in other words if you're allergic to one nut you may also react to others or you may not and so why why do you not react to other nuts or why do you why do some people and some people don't for example and so we like to answer those questions that are basically enigmas in the field. But along the way, if anybody asks us questions or needs our help, that's what our job is to try to help them.
0: That is fascinating and amazing. Thank you so much for that. A USDA Agriculture Research Service Administrator once said about you, her unique holistic approach incorporating allergenicity as a consideration in peanut breeding and food processing has had a tremendous impact on advances in detection, diagnosis, and treatment of food allergies. So what does that mean?
1: So basically... I think what she was referring to was, again, the broad perspective that we've gone in to the research, having the knowledge about the farmers all the way from how they process, how they harvest, for example, peanuts, store them, transport them to manufacturers, how they defat them, how they handle them, basically Uh, processing involves a food from the time it comes out of the ground to the time it sits in your plate or in your hands where you eat it. We've been able to get a good perspective on that process all the way to where it goes to the food manufacturer, how in the last decade, how they handle the allergens, how they clean their product lines, how they detect to make sure a product line is free of allergens before they go to a non-allergenic product line. And then the regulators that even up till today, there's really no regulation on allergens because, for example, they don't know the threshold dose for How much of a food can cause a reaction? What's the minimum amount of a food that can cause a severe reaction or a reaction? Having this broad perspective of interacting with the industry, the regulators, the clinicians who work on diagnostic detection and so forth has given us a unique approach. But the processing specifically affects all of these. The processing we've shown can actually alter IgE binding or allergenic properties of foods. One of the best examples is egg or milk. If egg or milk are baked into a product, for many of the allergic individuals, they cause less of a reaction. When they start feeding individuals, increasing doses of a food to desensitize them, instead of using a fried egg or milk in a liquid, if they feed them a product that has egg or milk baked into them, such as a muffin, then that actually can desensitize them with less severe reaction or potential for less severe reactions because it's got a lower allergenicity because it's been baked. Processing affects everything from, again, the farmers to the industry and so forth. And so you can look at all forms of allergenicity of a particular food all along the line from detection changes the diagnosis, diagnostic tools can change based on processing, the threshold dose can change of a food, and so forth. And then therapeutics, of course. So it affects pretty much everything from the beginning till the time a food is ingested.
0: Excellent. Thank you for helping us understand that in just a very simple, easy, digestible way. So thank you very much. Right now, I believe you're working on reducing the development and severity of allergy to peanuts and tree nuts. So what does that type of work entail?
1: Well, one that I've been very involved in or for several years, maybe about eight or nine years, is working with Amy Therapeutics, who has developed the oral immunotherapy for peanuts. We were involved in the early development of the product because of the fact that they use roasted peanuts. We help them characterize the drug. I like to tell people that whenever you open a pill box, you get this insert. that's just this long piece of paper with a lot of small font on it. And you take it out of your box, whether it's antihistamine, aspirin, or any other drug. You take it out of the box and you promptly turn around and throw it in the trash. Well, that's kind of what we did. We help them characterize the drug uh, so that they can actually, for the first time ever, characterize a food as a pharmaceutical.
0: Wow. So now when you say characterize, what does that mean exactly?
1: In other words, um, basically for a pharmaceutical, you have to know exactly what's in it and the dosage. It's very different from a food. So we have to show the levels of the H or one, two, six, at least so many of the allergens don't change from lot to lot. Can they be detected? What's the best method to detect it? Because the company has to perform quality control and assure their customer that they're going to get the same thing every time. They're not going to suddenly get a large dose by accident and have a reaction up dosing or taking increasing doses over time that they're not going to suddenly get an extra dose or a lower dose that might jeopardize their therapy. So characterizing something as a pharmaceutical is very difficult. Of course, Amune has done majority of the work, but in the early development stages of showing that this is doable is something that we help them work on.
0: This is just amazing work. I am just learning by the moment here. I'm just loving every bit of this. Before we wrap up today, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, just that, as the food allergy community knows, having a food allergy has a ripple effect. It affects a large group of people around that food allergic individual. But you have to know that it affects a lot of other people as well, all the way from the farmers who care that their products don't hurt the population, anybody to the regulators who want to regulate the products so nobody gets harmed, and clinicians, of course, and the food industry. It's important for you to know that it's the food-allergic consumer is not alone out there. There's a lot of people that care and are working towards helping the community and to make them safer.
0: So, Ayla, thank you so much for your time today. I know you were super busy. You are super fascinating. You are one oh. of my favorite people. I always look forward to seeing you at the conferences. So I was quite disappointed this year because of COVID. We had to stay online, but I still had fun with you. And I do look forward to the next time we're together again. But I just wanted to give you a very heartfelt thank you for your time, your knowledge, for the work that you do, and the way that you change our community. So thank you very much.
1: Wow. Thank you, Caroline. That's quite an endorsement. I feel the same about you. And I really look forward to our conferences and getting back together with all of you again, talking about our mutual interests, including our food. (laughs) I appreciate you having me here.
0: You're very welcome. And I hope to see you again on the show. Again, we want to thank the National Peanut Board for sponsoring this week's FACTS Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.